What's up, everybody? Welcome to Studio Wesley Annex, the audiovisual podcast where we talk about the liturgical texts of the week. It is Passion Week, which takes us from Palm Sunday through to Maundy Thursday to Good Friday into Easter. I'm your host, Michael Yarrick, and with me are some awesome people. Uh, we'll start with Derek, since he's normally the host of the show. How are you doing, Derek? I'm good. I'm just now noticing that you and I have matching jackets, kind of. Sort of. Oh, I noticed it. I clocked it very quickly. Wow. I'm so not aware of my surroundings, which There's is probably why it's good that you're the host today. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of a it's a color palette thing. Uh, Sydney, how are you? I am good. Happy to be here with y'all. We're glad that you're here. And Brooke. Um, I feel like you're doxing me. What? I, feel- <laughs> I what? I feel like you're announcing my location to the internet so I can be persecuted. Unlike on, on weeks um, weeks later. I- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, in, I'm in an undisclosed location. Yes. I'll, I'll I'll beep I'll beep out I'll beep <laughs> out the location when I say it. It'll just be a sensor bar over my mouth. Hi, Mike. Yeah, I'm fine. Okay, we are all in random locations around the country. Who's to say where we might be? Brooke, do you want to open us up in prayer? Yeah. Um, Dear God, thank you so much for bringing us here today. Thank you for Sydney. Thank you for Mike. Thank you for Derek. Thank you for the internet. Thank you for StreamYard. Thank you, God, for the Bible, and thank you for your story. God, I, um, you know this, like, I have a personal affection for Passion Week. Um, It means a lot to me. And as we walk to the end of our Lent journeys, and as we walk with you to the end of your first life on Earth, God, I... um, Yes, that you will make our hearts soft and that you will fill us with love. And my prayer through Lent has been that I will be hollowed out, that I can be continually hollowed out so that I may be filled with you and your will and the love and action that you have for the world. And that's my prayer, my small prayer (laughs) for all of us today, everyone listening everyone in this room and everyone all throughout the world um that we might that we might be hollowed out so that you can do the work the beautiful good loving work in us that you wish to do so that the world may be healed and whole and renewed um thank you for who you are and for your love and for your way of existing in the world in your name we pray amen Brooke just took that prayer and demanded that this episode be amazing. Uh, and Sydney's going to start us off with that with our New Testament text. Sydney, you ready? Take it away. I am. Um, hello. I am. Our New Testament text is Philippians um, 2, 5 through 11. Um, when I first kind of read this, I actually found it a little bit hard to like jump right in at verse five. So if you're reading long, I actually recommend just reading all of um, the second chapter because there's only a few verses before that. 
that I feel like give it so much context. I, I don't know about y'all, but whenever I'm reading the Bible sometimes and specifically scriptures that are like talking about, um, cause this, this little chapter is titled imitate Christ. So scriptures where we're asked to reflect on becoming like Christ and relating to Christ. I have a hard time sometimes cause you know, it's asking me to relate to Christ, but it, it jumps in. Um, though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God, something to exploit, right? So we're already given this big piece of information that Jesus is God. And I'm like, how am I supposed to relate to that? Um, what does that mean for me? Um, and so I kind of read over it a few times. And <clears throat> when I finally went back and read those first few verses, I felt a lot of clarity on kind of how I was connecting with this and where I fit into this passage. Um, the first few verses are reflecting on um, acting selflessly. Um, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any sharing in the spirit, any sympathy, complete my joy by thinking the same way, having the same long love, being united and agreeing with each other. Don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with um, humility, think of others as better than yourself. And so then we're given this instruction to imitate Christ and how Christ being God came and um, made himself um, as a servant to us and humbled himself um, even to the point of death. Um, and I think that, um, I am constantly kind of reflecting on the ways that sometimes working and interpreting scripture is very hard, um, because we were kind of given this holy text with a lot of rules in it. <laughs> um, a lot of times when it, we read scripture, it feels a lot like um, a rule book. And I think that a lot of throughout the history of the church, that's exactly how we've kind of regarded um, the Bible as kind of this rule book for us and how we should and shouldn't act and um, what we should and shouldn't do and how we should and shouldn't engage with the world and who we should and shouldn't love. And um, But I feel like this scripture gives us this beautiful reflection on how becoming like Christ is not about um, us becoming bigger and more self-righteous and becoming more judgmental and becoming more countercultural. Um, becoming like Christ is us almost doing the opposite and like embracing our humanity in such a way that we love humanity and we love our communities better and we humble ourselves um, and serve each other and um, we kind of see ourselves as a part of the whole um, and so I think that that is always a good reflection for Christians um, especially when I think we just um, I don't know I think we get off path sometimes in thinking that becoming like Jesus is this thing about figuring out how to sin as little as possible or figuring out what the right thing is, the right 
um, thing to do when really it's just about learning to like love um, each other better. And so that's kind of what I got from this. Um, I would love to hear what y'all are thinking. I have a thought. Um, yeah, so we've been doing queer Bible study at Flagler College. Um, it just came from it. And um, the idea of queer Bible study is to think of the, to understand that the experience of Jesus and the experience of the Bible, like every person has a right to relate to that experience and specifically elevating queer relations to the text. And as we've read about like the transfiguration from the perspective of like Jesus coming out and we've been, um, we've been talking about how like Jesus is authentically himself and like respects his relationships with others without regard for, for like what might be acceptable. Like the way he radically loves his disciples um, is like very authentic to himself. And what I've honestly, um, and I'm the type of person, I have a lot of like theories and ideas about like how Jesus's identities might be translated into our modern categories. But what I've really come to understand about Jesus, Jesus's identities through queer Bible study is that I would say Jesus's identity is inherently queer and that it's different and it's beautiful. And it's like doing this unexpected thing that defies the categories of his time. But his queer identity, I think from the Bible, what I read from Jesus as his self-identification, like how Jesus would describe himself is that he is both human and divine both fully human and fully divine, which like <laughs> is the thing that like we still struggle with today. But Jesus is queer in this way of like, he is like the first person <laughs> to be, and uh, the only, <laughs> like the first and only person to be both fully human and fully divine. And he's initiating this world of bringing that down. And he goes through what we've been talking about as, connected to the queer experience of like, he feels like he has to hide this identity and he like slowly lets his friends know, but it's something that like, it has to be trusted. And sometimes when someone like sees him, like really sees him, he says like, don't tell anyone because I'm not ready for people to know that. And it's an identity that he's really persecuted for. And eventually these friends that he's really trusted, like they, they do leave him and like this sense of loneliness that comes from it. So I'm I'm reading this passage and hearing what you're saying, Sydney, from this perspective of like, again, like this is what it means for Jesus to be, to have this queer identity of being both fully human and fully divine. And what that looks like is this thing of like, again, like we wouldn't expect it, right? Like it's this twisty, turny thing. Like Jesus is above all of us, right? Like Jesus is God. And yet, Jesus does not have that posture. Like Jesus deeply loves us and asks us to deeply love. Um, and again, like I'm, I'm just reading, I'm reading this passage um, from Philippians as like, this is, this is what it means to be in this world of like both and. This is what it means to like be fully human 
um, and to live life in this way of like bringing the kingdom to earth in the way that Jesus did. And I don't know, that's just like making all sorts of beautiful colors for me. Sydney, when you were talking about the ways that scripture has been given to us as sort of these rules, and so you you re you read and hear this Philippians text as like, and this is who we're supposed to be, this, this frame we've got to fit ourselves into. I was reminded that this actually, uh, this section was originally like one of the earliest songs of the church. Um, before it was um, <laughs> a, a measuring stick of who people were going to judge us to be, it was literally just the thing that like people who found life in Jesus were sitting in the space singing. Like, and were they singing truth? Yes, but they were singing. I mean, can, and and what so what's crazy to me is the idea that you know somebody sings a song. I mean, maybe we like measure them, measure their measure their Christianity against the song. But like, I don't think that's what we would actually do. And it's just the ways that through history, something that was given to us in a very specific way, um, um, the, the years of, of it being uh, passed down, there's something beautiful about it being passed down to us. And also there's something that like, we also have to be aware of that sometimes the things that, we're that are given to us, the traditions that we are given, um, are given to us in ways that may not be helpful for us in the in the times that we live. And so we can do multiple things at once. We can name that this originally was a song, and then we can then say, well, that song really is like a creed, because uh, to, to lean into this song and to say these different things, it, it, it's not just, it's, yes, it's Jesus' story and it's incarnation. It's the doctrine of the incarnation of God coming to us in the form of person. And we can even keep going, right? And we can take it as far as recognizing that the identity of Jesus as being fully human and fully divine, as, as Brooke said, can be seen as a queer identity because of how it requires us to do some things that that the binaries won't allow us to do. Like who, in the, who, who among us is living with the fully divine, fully human, and, and knows how to work that out. Only Jesus, so we have to listen and look at his life. And again, how we receive these, but we also have to recognize that with all of the ways that we receive these traditions, there are ways that it, it cannot be helpful. And it's very okay to just name, yes, it was a song, and I'm not a singer. So, hey. <laughs> so, I, I just, that's what the thing I was thinking about, is just the ways that we've got to continue to work with what we've been given, not just take it the way it's been given to us. We have to continue to get close to the text so that we can get the good things it's offering us and not be held up by the parts of it that are not helpful to us anymore. And so really appreciate it, your take, Sydney. Yeah, so in, in that same conversation, I, I was listening to you talk about this, Sydney, and, and both Brooke and Derek also. I, I thinking about the 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 way the acting the acting world has like rules for like acting or like you know, you put in all this thought into theory and like, the, you know, the different ways your character's thinking and all these different like acting techniques that you're like working on and working on during rehearsal. But then what every like acting teacher will tell you is that when you get on stage, you kind of just throw all that out the window. Like you shouldn't be actively thinking about those rules in that moment. You should be being present in the space. And hopefully all that work you did is kind of like still living with you because of how long you like worked on that personally. And I wonder if there's like a connection there of, of just 
you know, these, these rules and these, I say rule rules, these like um, kind of guiding markers and things are things we work on personally. And then when we enter the real world and we're interacting with other people, we hope that that's all just like living inside of us. But if we're actively thinking about all those things, we can actually possibly miss things that are happening in the moment that, yeah, that might turn out to be very fruitful and beautiful. And we just need to trust that it's kind of living in us already but um yes so feel free to like critique that or however you feel about what i just said um derek is gonna see if any of what we just talked about applies even earlier with the old testament text derek are you ready i am ready to go yes 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 take it away sweet Okay, so I'm going to try to do a lot in a little bit of time. Um, So one, I have Isaiah 50 verses 4 through 9a. It's a really cool uh, passage. Let me kind of set up where it is in the the scheme of Isaiah. Isaiah is this book of of really incredible uh, statements about what's happening in Isaiah's world that then get interpreted as prophecies about the people of Israel more broadly. Eventually, it speaks to what we believe God is doing, not just in God's people, Israel, but also possibly in the church and the world. There's a lot there. I'm literally just like going, you know, sweeping over it. Um, And we're in the section that we just got out of the section that was really talking about the world and how how just rough the world is and how badly God is trying to bring correction and alignment to this world. And in this section in the 40s going into the 50s of Isaiah, we're talking about a specific prophet or a specific servant of God that comes to be the, the human embodiment of that correction, of that realignment. Um, And what we're gonna end up doing is going into the rest of Isaiah, which is gonna really take us into what is possible because of particularly this embodied prophet, um, this embodied savior, this embodied, this servant that's embodying the the justice of God, the, the way of God, the righteousness of God, and how if the world and also God's people get on board with what that servant is trying to do, things are gonna get really great on the other side of all of this, just uh, destruction and calamity. Okay, that was a huge overview. And I use all that to say, again, just like I was, I say, I could say this about honestly anything in the Bible because it's true about the Bible. It's got like its original context when it was first written or spoken. Um, and then some people worked with it and then it became tradition. Um, and then it, and it continues to get handed down. It continues to get handed down to us. And, and so we've got to be thoughtful about the ways. So when Isaiah spoke this prophecy of Isaiah 50, um, we are pretty confident that he was not thinking about Jesus. Um, maybe somewhere in his spirit, there was a sense that this servant is not just a human, but actually like a, a, a human that, that's got this really interesting story, maybe even incarnational story. Um, so then some things that get said here in Isaiah 54 through 9. Um, specifically, I'll just pick right up at verse six. Instead, I gave my body to attackers and my cheeks to beard pluckers. I didn't hide my face from insults and spitting. The Lord God will help me. Therefore, I haven't been insulted. Therefore, I set my face like flint 
and I knew I wouldn't be ashamed. Okay, we read these words in Isaiah 50, this is verse six and seven. And some of us, if we know some of the events that take place during Passion Week, Holy Week, we know that there's this specific moment where Jesus is being tried um, and being questioned by Roman authorities. We know also that there is specific sections where we believe that he is being abused and being pushed. And we think that he has given his body to attackers. His cheeks that and the cheeks of his beard are getting plucked. We think that he recognizes what's happening, but believes it's for a greater purpose. So he doesn't hide his face from insults and spitting, but he trusts that the Lord is going to help him in some way, some way, shape, or form. Um, and and because of that, he doesn't even take this personally. He he essentially believes he hasn't really been insulted. Maybe it's even something like. Father, forgive them because they don't actually know what they're doing. Okay, so I, I don't know if you get what's happening here, but there's a way of sort of listening to Isaiah and some other folks and, and feeling like that it's, it's a bit of a spoiler alert, maybe, or a bit of a, a prophecy about what's happening. And so here's what we wonder. We wonder if maybe as all of this is happening to Jesus, there are people in the room, in the space, watching this happening, and, and Isaiah is, is echoing in their ears. I mean, you know what it's like when um, you're, I, for me, I'll speak for me, when, when my grandparents told me something about the way the world is or things that's going to happen, not like anything like dramatic, like certain people are going to get elected president, not like that, just like one day you're going to be broke too. And then you go remember that you need to be thankful for the little bit you have, you know, like those kinds of things where like we hear this thing and we're like, okay, grandma, thank you. And then like, you know, age 42, oh, sweet Jesus, my, um, my air compressor and my air conditioning broke, but I'm just thankful that I'm in a house and it happened at a cool time. So I need to be thankful. Like I, I can hear my grandmother in my ear. I, we wonder during Holy Week, some of these words from Isaiah were echoing in the ears of the folks who were watching all this happen. We even wonder if Jesus himself is thinking about these words and in a sense, allowing these moments of incredible oppression and pain and abuse from the Roman government specifically, but also from his own friends, and people that he trusted. We're wondering if maybe he said yes to this because he's got these words inside of him and in some respects thinks that he is this servant. Um, so it goes on to say, the one, the, the one who will declare me innocent, this is verse eight, the one who will declare me innocent is near. Who will argue with me? Let's stand up together. Who will bring judgment against me? Let him approach me. Look. The Lord God will help me. Who will condemn me? What if Jesus has these words so much inside of him that it gives him even reason to believe that he is embodying them, bringing them to pass? Now, I would, I would be very okay with Jesus doing that because I believe that Jesus is God. I believe the song of the Philippians. And that's a conversation that we can have about how much we believe that Jesus knew these things and believed that he was the Messiah. Um, and, but what, what, I'll, what I'll say is this, I think maybe the thing that we can take with us um, with this passage 
of many things is simply this, the way, the way that the scriptures have this ability to get into us. And then when they when we're going through things, they, they encourage us. And so this is my hope. My hope is that Jesus really was thinking about these words when he was being persecuted, when he was being insulted, when he was having uh, his, his beard plucked, when people were insulting him and spitting on him. I really hope that Jesus said to himself, there is one who will declare me innocent. God will help me because gosh, the self-talk when we are going through the issue is so critical. And so when I think about Jesus during Holy Week and all that he experienced, I am reminded of the fact that, yes, I go through things that are really tough for me. And part of the work of getting through those things is what is the story that I'm telling myself? What are the words that are coming back to me? And I think that there's a lot of scripture it really gives us some tools to persevere through the difficult seasons of our lives. So that's my thought. We'd love to hear my friends sort of respond. Um, thank you, Derek, for um, sharing. That um, really resonated with me today. I, I think I, so whenever I, um, I'm singing like hymns or like spirituals to people who maybe don't usually do that or don't get it. That is, reminds me of kind of something I'll share and say often that like thinking about hymns as something that are like, we're joining a choir of people who have been singing these songs for generations and generations. And like, that's what makes them so special is that like, they are um, so much bigger then write the the songs that kind of come in and out of our worship spaces. It's a song that's stayed with us and we choose to stay with us so much so that we put them in a book so that we say these are going to come with us where, wherever we go. And, um, and so that kind of reminded me of that kind of same sentiment that like um, something that is like connecting us to the experience of Jesus is like these shared scriptures that can like come up for us in these moments. Um, and like, as you were talking, I was really just thinking about my experience right now with just like a lot of these um, policies across the country, like anti-trans policies that are being passed in the ways that they're like really hurting my community and, um, and feeling hurt, um, but also trying to wrestle with not taking that hurt on is like, personal even though it's personal right it hurts me it hurts my friends it is personal and I think there's a place for that but there's also this space for like coping and perseverance and um hope that it, I have to like remember that like it's so much bigger than it being people hating my community it, it's it's people who uh, don't know. It's people who haven't been taught. It's people who are scared. It's people who have been told things that are just untrue and, and all these kind of things. And I have to like practice this empathy of like, these people are hurt and lost, just like I'm hurt and lost. And like, we have to learn to like 
we have to learn to like get on that same level together that we're in the same boat where we're all suffering alongside each other and so like um and that's what's coming up for me right now and I'm sure there will be a hundred other times in my life where this scripture will can come up for me and remind me so yeah thanks for sharing Derek yeah Sydney thank you for that also um Derek, you you said you were going to do a lot in a little, and I feel like you did a lot in a little, and it was great. Um, I, I th just I, I'm not, not trying to speak on behalf of young people or anything, but I will say when it comes to Studio Wesley Annex, whenever I get the ultimate Old Testament text, it's there's a little bit of groaning and moaning on the back end. That's like, why did I get this one? And I and I do feel like there's there's this natural association for me at least with um, like inaccessibility of Old Testament texts. Um, because in context, sometimes Old Testament texts more so than New Testament texts and others feel um, feel like they're the most weaponized or the most like abused in the context that they were written versus growth and change in society and worldview. And um, I, I just I just love the way you, I mean on a broader scale the way you pitch this idea of like how how do the Old Testament texts kind of relate to the new testament texts and like not at them as themselves but like if we look at the new testament how can we draw connections between how those things are written and how those things feel and why those are accessible and how those are maybe built upon or stem from or have grown out of old testament texts all of a sudden the old testament stuff is is context for things that do feel accessible and that's that's really interesting for me so thank you for pitching that derek I, um, the thing I mostly want to say is really tied into what I want to say later. Um, so the thing I'm going to say is I, um, inspired by my favorite, one of my favorite podcasts, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, I try to, um, pick stories that like I return to over and over and over again, um, and let those stories help ground me in, in the world and like in like getting through life. Um, and the more I do that with secular books, the more the more immersive the Bible becomes for me, which is really interesting. But one of those texts that I've chosen is Lord of the Rings. So sometimes, especially in the spring, um, or like whenever I feel called to it, but I've done it a few springs now, I like listen to the Lord of the Rings audiobook. Um, and it's so telling as I do this. Um, and it's interesting to do it like year after year and to think about how like, you know, when I was 22, like I heard these words and they made me like wish, like wish to go on an adventure, you know, like wish to like be on a journey. And now like as a 26 year old with like post COVID syndrome, um, I don't know, like about to move out of my state for the first time, I just feel tired. Like the whole time, I'm just like, I wish this, I wish they didn't have to go on this story. Like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm like, it's just a lot. Like, I wish we didn't have to do all of this. And gosh, like thinking about what you said to Sydney about like the anti-trans legislation and like all of the hatred in the world. As I read Lord of the Rings, like what I'm feeling right now is just like, I wish I didn't, I wish 
I wish this story didn't have so much darkness. Like I wish that the hobbits could just rest. But in that is this idea of like, I wish that I didn't have to live in the world with so much darkness. Like I wish that we could just rest, right? I wish there weren't these forces that are like harming children um, and harming people. Like I just, I wish it would stop. Like I wish the darkness would just like not be a thing anymore. Um, and just wrestling with that realization that like, that's not, <laughs> that's not the story that Tolkien wrote and published. That's not, that's not the life that we've been given. Um, but as I do that, one of the beautiful things is like, um, like I can feel really tired. <laughs> um, and then I'll, I'll listen to the audiobook. And there's something about hearing this story of like, they're going on this journey. They're really tired, right? Like they're really tired. It's really dangerous. It's really confusing. But this story of like, if the hobbits can do this, like if they can keep going and experiencing like all the discrimination that male learners to offer every time they say like, oh, you're so cool for a hobbit. I'm just like, oh my gosh, like I can't take it. But they're just used to it. They have no, they have nothing to say to it. They're just like, yeah, I am cool for a hobbit. Um, but it, it helps me to have that story and to remember, like, when I'm tired, like, just to remember, like, if they can keep going, I can keep going. Um, and honestly, I'm going to talk about this more, but I, I appreciate this idea of, of doing that with the Bible, too. And I love this idea that you bring, Derek, of, like, Jesus's inner world and, like, what was Jesus thinking in that time? And Jesus, I imagine Jesus wasn't thinking exactly about Lord of the Rings. He might have had access to all the future media. I don't think he was thinking about Lord of the Rings. Who knows? But um, but like his media of the time, right, was the Torah. Like it was the scriptures. And I'm, I am at, like we know that really painted his world. And like thinking that he probably did have the comfort of that story. Um, that's really beautiful and meaningful to me. Yeah, y'all, this is this is uh this is great. Thank you for all the wonderful responses. Uh as we talk about like um changes in authorial intent and perception over time, I now invite you as the listener to see how much your perspective can change over the next 20 seconds while we take a quick break. leads us right into me doing our psalms text for the day mike are you ready yes i am take it away here i go um okay so i um i've got the psalm text psalm 31 verses 9 through 16 um so before i start this uh this this may not be everybody's um kind of experience with church and holy week but for me palm sunday has always kind of been used as the joyous day before we start talking about a lot sadder things that happen later uh in the jesus uh crucifixion story for good friday so with palm sunday at least in my experience we have this focus on celebration right palm fronds waving in the air we're shouting hosanna in the highest you know he's coming on the clouds woot, woot, all the happy things um and then you know i get this psalm 
text that uh, is honestly it's pretty heavy. Um, And, you know, I've talked in past episodes, you might have heard me say that um, I typically think that Psalms verses are unobnoxiously or are obnoxiously happy. You know, God is great. God is good. All these like happy things. And then they don't feel down to earth. Whereas this Psalm that I'm about to read you a piece of uh, describes pretty deep distress, I would say. So we have verses like... um, Show me your grace, eternal one, for I'm in a tight spot. My eyes are aching with grief. My body and soul are withering with miseries. My friends are afraid to be seen with me. When I walk down the street, people go out of their way to avoid me. I'm as good as dead to them, forgotten like a shattered clay pot. I'm easily discarded and gladly replaced. So it's clear to me that the author of this psalm is undergoing some pretty deep emotional and human pain. Um, And whether or not we've felt this heightened of a situation before i do think we can all like recognize to some degree that that the specific feeling of ostracization feeling as though everything is going against you like no one's showing up and there's pretty much no hope in context um and then i want now to think of this in terms of palm sunday specifically and holy week leading up to good friday of these words the psalm not necessarily directly connected to to our easter story but thinking of these words as if they are possibly what jesus is going through i mean we talked a little bit about that earlier with some of these texts and now i'm thinking of you know everybody's celebrating jesus's entry into jerusalem and we're all like cheering and and being happy but there is this looming idea of betrayal. I mean, Derek mentioned it earlier. We can talk about whether or not Jesus knows what's coming and what's happening and how that ties into these texts. But for the sake of this, like this idea that to all my enemies, I'm an object of scorn. My neighbors are ashamed of me. My friends are afraid to be seen with me. I mean, these are concepts that I, I can't help but view as connected to how Jesus is feeling leading up to this moment, especially as we think of Jesus as like, um, like, as the representation of like humanity on earth. Um, I find a lot of hope in that a lot. I always feel very um, uh, like comforted by the fact of viewing of the more I get to read scripture and see Jesus as a representation of like specifically the human side of God and God's like ability to be in touch with humanity. That always brings me a lot of comfort. I don't necessarily have a very deep, um, take away from the script other than I do feel like this psalm and all of its sorrow and it's um, kind of like sad story that it presents does end in this lighthearted way of, uh, but I pour my trust into you, God. I'm glad to say you are my God. I give the moments of my life over to you. Rescue me from those who hate me and who bound me with their threats because of your gracious love, Lord, save me. I feel like this psalm is a story of permission to cry out to God when things suck. Uh, It's a story of having faith when things feel bad. And um, I also think it's, yeah, it's incredibly humanizing to Jesus. This is the story of Palm Sunday. Um, uh, Yeah. I, um, I don't know. I, I feel, I feel so connected to this. It feels so down to earth just um, knowing that Jesus like felt this way. I mean, the story of the garden of Gethsemane has always like, hit me really close to home uh we've been talking about jesus christ superstar beautiful portrayal of that i think but just knowing that like jesus does feel the same things that we do and um this 
low point that is portrayed in this psalm and possibly how Jesus felt in the Garden of Gethsemane and everything, that is still a, a place where God used somebody and used that um, moment in somebody's life to make them like a story that people can now look back on like years and years later, um, which I also think I connect to really deeply in the Bible when God uses those who don't have everything put together and do feel like their worlds are falling apart. God's still like, but I got you just have faith. I'm here. Um, I'm just like rambling at this point, but I, I don't know. I feel, I feel connected to this. I love to hear what you guys think of any and all of that disjointed jumble mumble. No. Okay. So Michael, one of the things I love about your, your sort of unpacking and, and response to this Psalm is just how like, people access it so easily. And that that is true of many of the Psalms, especially I think of the ones that are not all happy, God is awesome, but the ones that start out with, have mercy on me, oh God, because I'm depressed. Like, like, and how many people hear a Psalm like that? It's like, yep, that's me. Yep, yep, yep. And right, yeah. And, and, and so then to take this kind of Psalm and again, using this, this, this image of, this is what's in Jesus, in Jesus' ear, if you will, as he's going through Passion Week. And I think this is one of the reasons why Passion Week doesn't take a whole lot of work um, in us talking about. There's some other things that we like have to like theologically work out around Passion Week. But I think that the stuff inside of it, people are like, oh no, I, I, I get that you're sitting at dinner with somebody that's about to betray you and you know it. Um, and like, you're trying to work that ish out. Like I get that, right? Like, and so it just seems to me that like, yeah, Psalms like this are so accessible and so helpful that there are these ancient words that speak to 2023 without even a whole lot of extra work. <laughs> like, I don't have to have a big theological degree to understand I'm a joke to all my enemies, still worse to my neighbors. I scare my friends and whoever sees me in the street runs away. Ah, like, <laughs> like first grade, I got that. Like, oh. So I think that the way you just um, connected to it, Michael, is is it is it its own valid and legitimate response, full on. Yeah, I um, completely agree. I like. Um, I love, and I don't know if y'all have this experience, but I love it when I'm like scrolling through TikTok or Instagram, and I come across like a meme or video that like is somebody talking about something that I'm like I have never heard another human say that out loud that they do that or like that they feel that like really niche specific way about this and I just have this moment of like whoa that's so weird and it just feels so like validating or whatever um and I constantly am you know in therapy sessions I do therapy every other week and um something my therapist is always reminding me is that I don't have to like come approach my feelings with like rationalizing and making them um justified I have this like habit of like taking the things that I feel about people or situations and wanting to be like only give space to the feelings that I feel like have a right to be there um and this scripture to me I, yeah it just it feels very like it, it's not about if it's right or not it's not about if it's true or not it's not even about if it's 
justified to speak about other people that way or speak about your enemies that way, right? Like we get told to love our enemies a lot in the Bible, but in this text, like, it's like, no, like, <laughs> I, yeah. So, um, yes, I just, I, I also relate heavily to scriptures where it just feels kind of like, like unhinged, but like a good way, you know, or it's just like honest. Um, I'm going to bring another one of those, um, Catholic perspectives that Derek doesn't really think is Catholic. Um, gosh, I can get into that another time, but as a Catholic child, um, the way that I thought, <laughs> um, okay, so when I went to one of my first Palm Sundays in the United Methodist Church, it was at Riverside Park, and it's beautiful. Um, I remember Gabby, his <laughs> Gabby, um, I remember Gabby talking about um, how Palm Sunday was like her favorite day of the liturgical year. And I was like, what's that about? Like, I, I don't, I don't know why you like it. And I go to the Methodist Palm Sunday and I'm like, oh, like they're like happy. Like there's no irony in this. Like they're really like, come on God, like be our king. We're ready. Um, as a Catholic, what I remember from that day is that, like, it was always built in with this irony. It was always built in with this understanding that, like, yes, they're saying Hosanna today. And in less than a week, they're going to be saying crucify him. Right? Like, it's built in. Like, we we welcome God. And then we don't want God. Um and sometimes on Palm Sunday, like you go through and you read this whole text, the text that we're about to read, right? Like you don't, you don't just read the like Hosanna, but then you also read like what these same people do. And you have to call out, like you have to be the crowd that says crucify him. Um, and, and just thinking about how like that's in us, to me, it makes me think about how like, like we, as a human, I feel like I'm susceptible like I'm capable of both like seeing the truth and expressing love and like giving into that like mentality that does um that does like let me hate and does let me um let me choose to let someone be hurt in this way of what other people are doing or to like fulfill something inside of myself um I also want to say like I um, I appreciate you, Mike, like bringing up this psalm and like connecting it to um, to Jesus's experience and to our experiences. Um, and Derek talking about like how like people see me and they like run from me in horror. I just I just have to drop this in. Like I, I get what you're saying about first grade. Like that's definitely like a human experience, and. If this were Lectio Divina, I would say that reminds me of Cersei Lannister and Game of Thrones. Yeah. And, you know, which honestly, like just the connection of, we said this earlier, Sydney, Sydney, I think said this, how like we're all suffering. Like we're all suffering. Like first graders are suffering. We're all suffering. Cersei Lannister is suffering. Jesus is suffering. And I really think that, like, the heart of this week 
is to recognize like, I recognize the suffering in you. I recognize the suffering in me. I recognize the suffering in God. And to let that just like soften us and fill us with love. Um, but yeah. Sorry, I couldn't find the unmute button fast enough. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you for that, Brooke. Uh, Brooke, I actually think it's your turn now if you want to yeah. lead us into Matthew. It is. And um, I didn't say this because this is a podcast that's oriented towards college-aged young adults. Um, a little kid asked me. Um, yeah, a little kid asked me when I was being the children's pastor at Warren Willis what my favorite Bible story was. And I was like, oh, crap. And I was like the last supper. But I did not tell the whole truth because this this passage is my favorite Bible story. Um, this passage, not just this one. I'll take all of them. But this is like the um, Jesus's passion. <laughs> right. And I know that's weird. OK, so I'm going to I'm going to say a lot of things um, and I'm going to speak directly to Derek, who I came and see on my screen anymore. Okay, so as, as I already said, I grew up Catholic. And one thing that I do, right, and I, I know this sounds weird. I know this sounds weird. Even if, you're, if there is any Catholic experiences, as there are people who've experienced Catholicism. I'm not saying every Catholic experiences this, but honestly, and I feel this for like most of my life, when I'm in a really tough time, the thing that gives me the most strength is remembering that Jesus was crucified. <laughs> like Jesus went through all of this stuff and Jesus still came out on the other side. Like not even, not even that Jesus came out on the other side. Like Jesus went through all of this stuff and he chose to do it. He chose to do it out of love for us and out of faithfulness to his father. And just being inspired by that. I was actually talking about this at UNF on Wednesday night. And I said, like, if Jesus can be crucified, then I can wash the dishes. And like that, that juxtaposition is real for me, right? Like it means it helps me in big situations, but it also helps me in like, if Jesus can do that, then I can do, <laughs> I can do the things that like feel hard for me, but that like, I, like it's okay. Like I, like I feel, I feel strengthened by Jesus's strength. And I bring, I bring that up because I, I know I've mentioned that before, um, and I was wondering, you know, like, is this just, is this just a Brooke thing? Like, am I the, <laughs> am I the only one who experiences this? And I recently bought a book called Station to Station, and it is an Ignatian spiritual journey through the Stations of the Cross. And the whole premise of the book is to think about Jesus and how he handles, responds to the suffering of the passion story um, by going through station by station and thinking like when Jesus suffers, how did, what does he do? So like he prays, he's steadfast, he's calm, he's loving, he forgives. Um, and honestly, like it's been so helpful for me. I have PTSD and I, um, 
it's like my trauma anniversary time. So I've been um, being affected by it a little bit more than usual. Um, and on Tuesday, especially, I was having a really hard trauma day. Um, but honestly, like the thing that helped me the most was thinking, was remembering Jesus and remembering like, what did Jesus do in his time of suffering? And how can I, how can I remember Jesus's strength? And how can that help lead me forward? Um, kind of honestly, like in the same way that I do for like Glory of the Rings and remembering that story. Um, for me, what really helps me about the story of Jesus's passion, there's so many things because it, it's just a really big part of my spiritual life. It's this idea that um, of remembering that Jesus suffered and that Jesus can understand us in our suffering. And also to me, it's this reminder that, um, like I said, like we are all suffering. When I read about Jesus suffering, um, like I, Good Friday, the day when we um, remember Jesus's death is really important to me because we think about Jesus, Jesus suffered and died, right? But I honestly, I personally believe that like we live in a Good Friday world. Um, I think we get moments of Easter Sunday, but I'm often haunted by the way that many, many, many people, if not all of us, are suffering. Um, and many of us are suffering greatly like this moment, and that's going to be same, the same the next moment and the next moment um, until God finally, finally heals all those wounds and restores everything. Um, and reading, reading through the passion of Jesus reminds me of the truth of that, the truth of the truth of the condition of the world. And it also calls me right to like, not be like the crowd to think, how can I, like, I have it in me, right? I've done it. I've been that person who, when someone is suffering, when like, that's the popular thing to do. I, I join that crowd, right? Like I scapegoat people. I make them the enemy. Um, and I still do that. But I, what I appreciate about this is it calls me back to what I think is like the true lesson of my faith right now, which is like, how do I move away from that hatred? How do I move away from that hatred and into love? Um, and I, yeah, to me, that's like the fundamental Christian journey and my favorite, my favorite story. And also like just the fact that we have a God who suffers. <laughs> we have a God who feels pain, a God who opted into feeling pain, right? Like a God who, who understands, like when I say this is hard and this is horrible because of this story, because of these stories, because of this tradition we've been given, I can fully believe that God understands and believes me and knows that it's real and hard and loves me, loves me through that um, and loves with like deep compassion and that we're called to do that. It, it just, it means so much to me. I had like a few verses to like pull out, but I, I think I talked about it. Um, I think I talked about it enough, but um, I really recommend reading through if you're in a good place or if you're in a bad, if you, if you feel like it wouldn't harm you um, to read through 
the passion story um, of Jesus's um, arrest and trial um, and crucifixion because it um, it can be hard, but I really think um, I really think it can break us open in a very fruitful way. God, Brooke, thank you so much for that. I'm sorry, I just keep thanking everybody because the, ah, it's so good. It's so good. I um, yeah, just having a God that leads by example, specifically in suffering, is everything. I mean, that's it. It literally is everything. Um, <clears throat> I also just wanted to point out. I feel like there's something to be said too about the 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 fear response in the in the crowd that's watching Jesus's suffering too. Uh, I don't know what I have to say about that. I just want to like acknowledge the fact that like God is also showing us like the like the the difference there too between people of like we're sitting here watching something happen and like we're so scared of that happening to us that we then become complacent in in that sort of activity. I don't think that's like a condemnation sort of commentary. Um, but I, I do just, I just wanted to say it out loud because as I hear you, you talk about like joining, joining in on that against Jesus and joining in on that, like antagonizing of the suffering. There's also the, like the silent complacency as we watch bad things happen that like comes from this innate place of fear. And then seeing like a God who is enduring such awful suffering fearlessly is pretty like powerful when it comes to like motivating me at least to speak up or to try to work ourselves towards a place where we can stand up against our fellow human suffering. Yeah. I have so many thoughts. Um, I think one thing that's just really cool is that God leading by example. um, And while I don't necessarily believe in that God won't give you more than you can handle, you know, kind of, slogan, I do think that God in in Jesus continues to show us what humanity is capable of when their hearts and their motives are aligned with with the best, right? Um, The ways that we can sit at a table with that, the, a person that's going to betray us, the way that we can uh, speak truth to power, even when that power seems to have all of the tools available to, to snuff you out. The, the ability to live in the tension of receiving the accolades and praise from people who quite possibly will be screaming for your death in a few days and recognizing that they're doing the best they can, which is why they are where they are. And like, this is, if this is what God is like, I'm here for that God, right? Like if this is, if this is the road that, that God walks down, I'm interested in learning more about that God. And so there's something about the, the passion week gospel narrative specifically that I think really helps us get a sense like, this is how God uses power. This is how God deals with betrayal. This is this is how God handles suffering. Um, I'll just say this. I, I think that as much as I want to believe that um, we all have agency to resist suffering, we know that that's actually historically not true and practically not always true. 
And I am grateful for a God that defends the defenseless. And I'm also grateful for a God that has so identified with the human experience that that God allows in Jesus himself to have to go through some things so that I, I just know, at least for me, that tells me, oh my gosh, I'm not alone when I have to just go through it. Um, and then that God overcomes. And so that's a different piece of it too. But um, yeah, Brooke, I appreciate that reflection and all that you've been bringing today. Yeah, yeah. Overall, I, I love this episode. Derek would say that every episode is his favorite episode as we go. Oh, did I miss Sydney? I'm so sorry, Sydney. No, no. Uh, this is like this is newbie hosting 101. <laughs> God, I'm the worst, Sydney. No. <laughs> You're. I wasn't gonna say anything too profound. I was just gonna basically um, echo what y'all have been saying. Um, but yeah, I yes, I think a lot about the like human experiences that connect all of us, um, and there aren't. Like, there are a lot, but there aren't, if you, like, really sit and think about it. Like, what are the things that every, I know every single human on the planet has, like, experienced, you know, like, being birthed and um, and dying are the two things that I kind of think about a lot. And so I think that, yeah, I just don't think that the story would be nearly, of Jesus would be nearly as impactful if Jesus didn't, like, walk through suffering and death with us. Um, and so I think that's, like, like so important um and healing and i i like um one time I, I wrote this poem and honestly i need to go back and find it but it was about like telling stories of like our suffering and how like um i was just recalling this specific story that i've told a lot to like people that i'm like friends with and i i was kind of reflecting on how like the story changed and how when I first was like retelling this story of like my suffering, it was almost like out of a need to like get it out or like to try and like heal from it or to like, because I just felt like it was like living in me so intensely. I didn't know what, like what to do with it. And it's like now, whenever I tell this story, it's so much of like a point of connection. I tell this story when I'm like, you know what I'm seeing right now that you're experiencing something that I have experienced. And it's just like this meeting place of like, my suffering is now not this thing that it's like hindering me. It's actually the thing that's like helping me connect to the people around me. And so I think that this is just another example of that in the way that our stories and the story of Jesus gets turned into like this beautiful connective thing. Um, and so, yes, that's all I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. In incredible all around. Um, I was saying this earlier. Derek uh, Derek typically ends the episode by saying, this is, this is the one. This is a good one. This is my favorite. And, uh, yeah, this is bomb. This is uh, bomb.com. That's my, that's the, I don't know. That's like a 90s. I don't know what that is. I'm going to pray for us now. Uh, <laughs> uh, dear God, your words speak truth. They bring meaning. They challenge us. They are timeless. Help us to be thoughtful about the ways that we utilize those words, not only in the context that they were written, but also how we use them relationally now, how they come into the modern day. Um, thank you for your suffering. 
thank you for your humility and then thank you for the lengths that you will go to make us feel your presence and not feel alone in jesus name amen uh that is that is this episode of studio wesley annex uh the passion week has been discussed uh until next time thanks for watching